Welcome back to another episode of the Pivot and Go podcast. You are in for a treat today. Let me just preface, this is going to be a wild, wild ride. An incredible story with an incredible human being, the founder of Charity Water, Scott Harrison. So Scott, he was a nightclub promoter for 10 years, 10 years, went on a trip to Liberia and changed his life, changed his feeling of purpose. It's not just about money. It's not about fame. It's not about what looks cool, a Rolex on your wrist, but it's about the impact you have on others. So Charity Water is different. It's bringing the trust back to charity. It's making charity cool and it's saving millions and millions of lives, as you will see on this podcast, all that Scott is doing around the world to give people clean water, actual clean water, not just water, actual clean water. And some of the stories he tells, yeah, gonna tug at your heart. Just prepare yourself for that. You're in for an absolute treat with Scott Harrison. So without further ado, buckle up because here we go. The road, just pivot and go, pivot and go. Scott Harrison, welcome to the Pivot and Go podcast. Man, thank you so much for coming on here. And you're coming from one of my favorite cities in the United States, Franklin, Tennessee, from New York to Franklin. And I was a a New York guy. I was Brooklyn, coaching for the Brooklyn Nets. So I know New York and Franklin, you are going to love it, man. But thank you for giving us Awesome. Yeah, 26 years in New York City. I mean, if you'd asked me before COVID... I was going to live and die in New York, raise my kids in a tiny two-bedroom apartment. You know, I was, uh, we, we were just fighting it out. I was, I would joke that, you know, I would lease my Kia Sorento for $326 a month. And then I paid $600 to park it. And we were just like the frog that was boiled. But I'm like, but I'm taking the kids to the zoo in the Kia and I just don't care. And then COVID happened and we realized we did not want to live with a four and a six-year-old in a two-bedroom apartment that you know probably costs five times more than a two-bedroom apartment anywhere else in the world. And uh, we moved to a farm in Pennsylvania. We did that for a year and a half, really rural living. We got 26 chickens. Awesome. You know, I was working on Zoom from an attic. And then last Saturday, we said, let's try something different. And we moved to Franklin uh, for a year. So we're, we're going to try out the South, and, and we've loved it so far. So that, know, it's a cool place. That means next you're coming to the West Coast, the best coast, out by me here in Marina Del Rey. I don't know, or maybe come you come on. down here to the South. Ooh, we got a lot of people, a lot of people from that. LA coming. Hot chicken and Jenny's ice cream. I'm all in, <laughs> man. Scott, so start us off with a bang. So something maybe not everybody knows about you. Now we know Scott Harrison as Charity Water and the amazing things that you've done for this world through Charity Water. But start us off with something a little bit different. You know, I, I I think kind of, I don't really talk about early jobs. You know, I was that kid that wanted to be independent. So fiercely wanted to be independent. And, you know, my parents were, I don't think they gave me much of an allowance, but they did give me the opportunity to go out and, and go get jobs. So I remember as a kid selling Christmas cards, you know, knocking on doors, trying to get people to buy Christmas cards. I remember borrowing money to buy a leaf blower so that I could you know, have a little leaf blower business. And then my first job was actually at McDonald's. And I just remember, I can still feel the grease of the floor underneath <laughs> my sneakers. You know, just the kind of standing there, uh, taking people's order at the drive-through, just sliding around. 
And, you know, the free food as a teenager, it was amazing. I mean, free milkshakes. It's like my parents can't control what I eat. You know, this is heaven. And then one day uh, they, they asked me to dress up as the Hamburglar. I don't know if anybody knows this character. And basically, you know, step inside a giant hamburger felt suit. Uh, it was in summer. And then go out to this outdoor outlet mall and hand out, you know, I guess, I don't know, <laughs> coupons or whatever. And I just remember my hamburger would not fit through doors. So I would kind of tilt the hamburger up, you know, at a 45 degree angle and then squeeze through the door and uh, and being so hot that day. But it was, uh, it, was, it, was, it was a great experience. And, you know, whatever that check was, I got to cash it at the end of, of the week. And it was, it was money I could spend, you know, a little bit of autonomy and independence. I love it, man. Free McFlurries. You get to be a hamburger. Like They didn't have the McFlurry back then. Oh. I mean, if they did, boy. You'd still be there. They did. <laughs> You'd be still diabetic. be there. <laughs> Scott, on the Pivot and Go podcast, we bring on guests who have been extremely successful, impactful. And I say those words in your own definition of it. But everybody's gone through a life pivot, felt stuck in a situation and had to make a pivot to be able to be on the trajectory they're on today. Sure. Do you have one multiple, I know you do, that, that, that you felt stuck in a situation, you made that pivot and go? Yeah, man. I mean, I, it, there was a moment. So I, I moved to New York City at 18 and I became a nightclub promoter. I worked at 40 clubs over 10 years, chasing models around the world, spraying bottles of champagne from the DJ booth. Uh, it was you know, the, the life that I thought I wanted, which was fame and celebrity and partying and experience and got my life to a point where I, I drove the BMW. I wore the Rolex watch. My girlfriend was in the cover of fashion magazines. We would go to Paris and Milan and, you know, Buzios, Brazil. And 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 I was just there's no way else to put it, really. I was miserable. I was empty. I was morally bankrupt. I was spiritually bankrupt. Mm. My parents had brought me up in the church and I had walked, you know, so far away from any of that, that I, I just, I, like I lost my way. I'd lost my soul. And it was really this, this specific trip in South America. I remember going down to South America and, and it was in Uruguay, Punta del Este, Uruguay. And it was just like the most decadent, opulent trip. Private planes going down, you know, servants waiting on us, uh, cooking for us, like picking up our towels, folding them behind us. Uh, this compound, there was a yacht that, that came with the compound. And we just thought we were on top of the world, right? Two weeks in South America. And I remember on New Year's Eve, there was this party and we went to the fireworks store and I think I threw down 1500 bucks on fireworks. And, you know, we, we have a DJ, like the best DJ and Guy from Cirque du Soleil is nearby and he's coming to our party. And I just remember uh, the next day around noon, the music was still going. Everybody was high, including me. <laughs> and it just felt so unhealthy. And it was like, I wanted the music to stop. I just, that's the, the best way. Like I wanted all of the music of my life to stop. Like all of the, <laughs> the bad music. 
And I just realized in that moment, there would never be enough. There would never be enough girls. There'd never be enough money. There'd never be enough trips. There'd never be enough fame or status. Somebody would always have more, you know, better of all of it. And man, I just, uh, I started praying again. You know, it's like, it, it feels so cliche, but I kind of felt like the prodigal son. You know, I wound up halfway around the world, like, you know, surrounded by pig feces and missing home, missing the spirituality, the morality, the kind of the light of home. And then, you know, that began a process of praying and reading the Bible again and trying to find a lost faith, you know, lost, reclaim a faith, make it my own, not my parents' faith, but my own faith. And that started, you know, what became a, a much longer journey. But that was really the moment where I should have been happy. And I, and by the way, everybody else around should have been happy and they weren't either. You know, you kind of, it's like the veil was lifted. You know, you could, it's like when the lights come on at one of our clubs at four in the morning, the club is disgusting. <laughs> I mean, you know, the banquets have a holes in them. You know, drinks have been spilled. There's 50 cigarette butts like underneath the tables. And, and when the light illuminates it, you would never go to one of these clubs if you saw it you know, during the day under bright lights when the Clorox comes out. So it's, it was it was sort of like that as a, as a metaphor for, for my life in that moment. Yeah, the wake-up call and the wake-up call to take off your mask. That is a pain yeah, I like that. Yeah. that so many people struggle with. It is literally the biggest struggle where we think we have to be something. We think we have to live up to what society tells us we need to be. And you were just... And you went from one extreme to the other, and obviously you've gone on to start Charity Water, Water, which has helped over, man, it's probably at like 600 or 700 million right now. I'm not sure the exact count, but but we will get into that. Now, the thing, I want less of me and more of you, because I think you are one of the most phenomenal storytellers I've ever heard, and stories with impact. The stories I've listened to you tell have impacted me to make me feel like I was actually there. So can we go into some stories that have stood out to you that have really shaped your life, shaped how you, maybe how you parent, how you're a husband, and just how you view what actually living is all about? Yeah, there's a couple that come to mind. I mean, so so Charity Water, for, for people that don't know, we, we're... 15 years old, we're a nonprofit organization uh, based in New York City. And we just have a very simple mission, which is to bring people clean water, yeah. clean drinking water. And uh, you, you got the problem uh, numbers pretty spot on. It's about 771 million people right now yeah. uh, across the planet don't have clean water. So about one out of 10 people alive you know, as, as we sit here recording this, are drinking dirty, unsafe, contaminated water, maybe from a swamp, maybe from a dirty, muddy river, uh, maybe from a little puddle in the ground. And, you know, we think that number should be zero. Probably everybody listening thinks that the number should be zero, yep. right? Everybody should have their most basic need met for life. So that's been the mission. And, you know, we've tried to raise money for these projects now across 29 countries by just telling stories to everyday people. Um, you know, we don't take government grants. We don't work with a lot of corporations. It's really everyday givers, just people who are moved to give generously 
uh, of what they have to help people get That's access amazing. to clean water. So, you know, one of the one of the early ideas, I actually started Charity Water on my birthday by throwing a birthday party. I was 31. And I said, you know, I'm just going to – I had quit nightclubs, uh, sold everything I owned, gone to live in West Africa, Liberia, West Africa, for two years as a photojournalist. That's where I came across the water issue. And then I came back to New York at kind of 30 saying, I'm going to do this. I'm going to work on water. I'm going to start an organization. So we started with a birthday, which was mine. And I just charged everybody 20 bucks to come to the birthday party. And I promised that 100% of that money would go straight to help people get water. And that night, 700 people came uh, because I got a, a cool club donated. Uh, we gave everybody open bar for an hour and they came and, and we raised 15,000 bucks. And we immediately did our first couple projects. And then this idea of the birthday just kind of took on a life of its own. And the next year I donated my 32nd birthday. And I just asked everybody not to come to the party, to stay home. There was no party, but to donate $32 for my 32nd birthday. And 100% of that money would go. And I actually wound up raising $150,000 online. Oh my so a, a perfect 10x Jeez. of that you know, first birthday um, celebration. All this to get into the story that I want to tell, which is uh, there was a nine-year-old girl who heard about this idea. And her name was Rachel Beckwith, and she was in Seattle, Washington. And she says, well, I'm going to give up my birthday. I'm going to cancel my birthday party, and I'm not going to accept any gifts from friends or family, and I just want $9 donations to Charity Water. And she set a goal of helping uh, what would be about 15 people. Um, she set a goal of, oh, sorry, 10 people. She set a goal of $300. She's like, I think I can raise $300, $9 at a time. And she went out there with this and she raised $220. So she actually fell short. She did not reach her goal. And, and her mom said she was super bummed. And she's like, well, I'm going to try harder next year. I'll be 10. You know, maybe I can raise $300. And then unfortunately, um, there was a terrible tragedy. There was a 20 car accident just after her birthday. And she was, she was killed. She was the only fatality, a tractor trailer, uh, ran into the back seats and smashed her, uh, crushed her. And I, I was actually in Africa at the time and I, I landed at JFK and turned my phone on and I, I learned about this, this tragedy. And her family reached out and said, you know, we, we'd like to honor Rachel's last wish, which was not to have a party, not to get gifts like any nine-year-old you know, should want or cake or any of that. It was for people that she'd never met a world away to get clean water. And man, it was so amazing to see this story spread. And people from the Seattle community started giving $9. And then it spread across the country. And people started giving $9. Then it spread into Europe, down into Africa. People in Africa started going on the website and donating $9 in Rachel's honor. And she raised $1.2 million. Oh, Yes, from a goal of 300. Even more amazing, in the coming years, so many of the people that gave to her birthday donated their birthdays. They raised another $2 million. <clears throat> so she wound up with well over $3 million of impact, right? Helping over 100,000 people get clean water from that vision of, of 10. And I think, you know, you mentioned the parenting thing. I mean, I have a five and a seven-year-old. I want my kids to not want Lego to not want cake. I want my kids to have that heart 
to, to, you know, to, to break from the commercialism and the materialism that we're just being fed every day mm -hmm. and to care about the suffering of others. Uh, you know, I think for so many adults, it's easy with our issue or with so many issues to just accept or embrace the apathy, you know, like, what could I do about the water crisis? Like 770 million people. That's like twice the population of America. You know, how could I ever do anything about that? So it's, it's sometimes it's a child, a nine-year-old who with such purity of heart and compassion and vision can lead the adults True. to action nine dollars at a time Dad. you know and Dad. then the next thing you know that number comes down by a hundred thousand people right a hundred thousand people get clean water uh because a child inspired us all to to do something what an impact a nine-year-old showing us the impact that we can all have. I mean, that spiraled into, I know his seven-year-old raised 22,000 and yep. Will Smith yep. is on yep. board and you've got all these types of people on board because one kid made this decision. Sure, she had tragedy strike, but that type of impact we can all have. And we don't, the thing is a lot of us feel like it, we have to be in there. Like you have to go there to have the impact. You don't. And you can like just seeing these type of stories and the real life experiences that you have been through and the stories you're able to share and tell show how real it is. Like the story of the lady spilling the water that I heard. Yeah. You gotta oh tell gosh, that I don't know that me. anybody's ready for that. I, I, you know what? They might not be, but yeah. they need to hear it. So this, this story you're talking about, this is probably eight years in and, you know, I was just missing the, I was doing so much fundraising and, CEO stuff, hiring, you know, managing the team that I was just feeling a little disconnected from the work. And uh, I, I, I've, I've now been to Ethiopia 31 times. I'd, I'd probably been, you know, 15 times uh, then. And it was just a country I loved. It was our biggest country of focus and impact. And I'd been up in the north and I'd come across this. Uh, I was staying in a hotel, a really cheap $5 night hotel. And the owner recognized me as being with Charity Water and tells me the story of, uh, of, of a woman in his village where he grew up, which was a very rural, remote village, who used to walk with all the other women eight hours every day for, for dirty water. Bro, not even for clean water. Like, <laughs> imagine walking eight hours, four hours out, four hours back Jeez. for dirty water. And... He said one day after this walk, she, you know, they, the women would walk with clay pots, um, that, that yellow jerry can that, you know, you probably have seen in some of the marketing or whatever, hadn't even been, you know, invented yet or, or ubiquitous. So they were just wearing these, wearing, <laughs> literally wearing these clay pots attached to their shoulders with rope and, you know, would hunch their backs and they're walking in the hot sun. Anyway, he said at the end of an eight hour walk, this woman slips and she stumbles and she falls and her clay pot smashes and eight hours worth of water spills out into the dust. And he said, she did not go back for water. She took a rope, the rope that had you know, tied the clay pot to her back and she tied the rope around her neck and she climbed a tree and she hung herself. And he's like, this happened in my village. And he said, the work that you're doing here in the region is very important. And I remember the dude just walked off into the <laughs> kitchen. Wow. You know, like drop the bomb and then leave. And, and I remember 
just processing that in the moment, thinking not true, like check Snopes, <laughs> right? Wives tale that, you know, just kind of go, go tell the foreign aid worker a shocking story to make him feel good. But I don't know, it nagged at me. And about a month later, I wrote our partners and I said, hey, this guy's from a village called Meta. Would you mind just going out there and 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 checking checking out this story? Is this really true? Did this happen? And, you know, a, a really trusted friend and partner said, yeah, I went out there and it's it's true. And her name was Letakiros Hailo. And um, and then, you know, long story short, I went to go live in the village for a week off the grid. I just wanted to kind of experience life there. I wanted to walk in her footsteps. I wanted to do the eight hour walk. Um, I wanted to meet some of the other women. I wanted to see if anything had changed since her suicide. And, you know, the, the craziest thing was that I didn't know this heading into that village. And by the way, I had to, I had to hike like 13 hours or something like just to get there. It was really remote. She was 13 oh. when she died. So I had imagined this was a woman towards the end of her life. This was a 13-year-old kid, a 13-year-old girl who was walking for water and just in the desperation of the moment. And I'll, I'll never forget interviewing her friend who walked with her that day and was still walking to the same nasty spot for water. And I was like, you know, I'm, I'm talking through a translator. I said, why do you think she did it? You know, why didn't she just go back for water the next day or go get another pot? And her friend said, you know, she was such a remarkable girl that the shame of letting her family down was probably too much for her. Because she had not only wasted and spilled the water, she had broken the clay pot, which is a valuable asset to the family. You know, call it three or four dollars to go and replace. That could be a week's worth of wages. And, you know, she wouldn't, she just probably couldn't face her family knowing she had let them down. Now, like, how many times have you tripped and <laughs> fallen this week, right? Like, I'm the clumsiest guy ever. I'm, I, I'm spilling things all the time. Uh-huh. And that just hit me that, you know, that a child born into a situation, I was born into a middle-class family in Philadelphia, you know, uh, always got to go to school, got to go to college. You know, a girl born into a village like this was born into a system of despair and extreme poverty and that I had to go and work extra hard to make sure 13 year old girls weren't spilling their water and hanging themselves from trees or we're never in that situation again. So it was really driving and and animating for me, um, for, for many years. And, you know, even to this day, Scott, as heavy as that is, it is twice as impactful for us all to hear. Like we can make a change. We can help these people. We are born into these extremely gifted. Like we get to talk on this podcast. We get to go eat ice cream, do whatever. Like we're not worrying about life or death or walking eight hours just to get water. What we have to realize, and you do such a great job of this through the impact that you have, the storytelling, the trust that you brought back to charity is that nothing is ours. Nothing is ours. You're giving back 100% of everything coming in. Nothing is ours. It's all a gift. God has given us this gift. Why are we to keep it for us and not share with all of God's people? So, man, I just wanted to just thank you for doing that and just being different, doing things differently, bringing that trust back to charity. And there's so much Scott, that I could talk to you about and want to ask you, and I'll come to Franklin, Tennessee, so we can 
hook up and I'll ask you in person. But as a as a very driven person of making impact, you feel a weight on your shoulders like I have to do this, like it is my calling, I have to do this. How do you stay so hungry and driven, have what I've heard you say 80 flights a year, just traveling all over the place? How do you stay content with where you're at and make sure you keep time, the most important time for the most important people in your life? I feel like there's five questions in there. There's um, a lot. You there's know, a all, lot. all of those to tease out are a little bit different. I mean, staying connected to the mission is, is challenging at times um, because you find yourself doing so many things, you know, business things that you know, aren't kind of the direct work. So I've, I've tried to make sure that I'm always in the field, you know, every kind of three or four months, you know, I'm in, in India, I'm in, in Bangladesh, I'm in Cambodia, I'm in Malawi, you know, I'm staying close to the work that the people on the ground that are drilling the wells that are building the gravity fed systems that are making the bio sand filters. Um, I'm so inspired by them. Just, you know, one story art, we, we, We've done almost a hundred million dollars now just in Ethiopia of water project, a couple million people with water. And we've got about eight drilling rigs operating there. And I was out with one of the drilling teams and yeah, talking to them, I realized they work 29 out of 30 days every month. Okay. They take one day off a month because the dry season lasts eight months and then it pours rain. And the rig can't go out on the roads, it gets stuck. So they basically have eight months of prime drilling time. And rather than take weekends off or to take eight days off a month, they just go 29 days and they take a day off. And then they go 29 days and they take a day off to maximize that time. And, you know, dude, we're, we're all talking about work-life balance <laughs> and, you know, oh, I can't, can't work anybody too hard, respecting everybody's boundaries. Like, don't send an email on a Saturday, right? Yeah. And these guys are literally like eight to eight, you know, 12 hour days with the urgency of saving lives. This rig can save lives. So rather than them going having beers with the buddies or cigars or Jenny's ice cream, you know, <laughs> like every, the next day is every lost day is a lost opportunity for clean water for their people. Right. These are Ethiopians serving Ethiopians, leading their community forward, leading their country forward. So, you know, that's a lot of fuel. I'll come back from spending, you know, a couple of days with sure. the drilling team and, you know, be so connected, be so fired up, want to work harder. Um, I, I think, you know, I'm, uh, when it comes to family, you know, I started having kids at 39, 40. So I'm an old dad. I've been doing this for a long time. And, you know, because I put in those crazy hours, building the organization in, you know, kind of my thirties when I was single, uh, and then, you know, eventually in, engaged, you know, I, I can spend more time now with my family. I've got a team of people, you know, it's not, it's it, so much less is dependent on me to go out and make the speech or make rain or, you know, I, I was doing, yeah, 80 or 90 flights a year before COVID. I mean, I'm going to drop that down to, you know, by two thirds, nice. you know, maybe three quarters. Um, I have loved being home with the family. I've loved spending more time with the kids and, you know, I'm, I'm going to finish this podcast and we're going to a batting cage and then a baseball game, you know, and I can coach for a space because yes. I'm not on a plane, you know, in Las Vegas, giving a speech. Um, so I'm thinking about that now. Do I want to go to Las Vegas and give a speech or do I want to stand at first base? 
you know, and yell at a bunch of kids who <laughs> always do the wrong thing. I love it. Hey, yeah, call those steel signals. I know you got those down. But what you're doing right there, that's, <laughs> that's the epitome of leading leaders. Like, you don't have to do it the whole time. You build it. You put so much into it, and you've set it up so you can lead others. And I'm going to let but you. But I will say, David, I mean, you know, the 100-hour the weeks in the beginning were real. Yeah, totally. And in some ways necessary. They yeah. buy the ability. And, you know, I was not Netflix and chilling. You know, <laughs> I, I wasn't kind of worried in that you know, that entrepreneurship phase of work-life balance of, yeah. you know, yeah. oh, let me just make sure that, I, you know, I mean, that's unpopular to hear, but, you know, to, to, to give birth to an organization or a company, it requires an extraordinary amount of emotional energy, of physical energy, of time, of learning. Uh, and, you know, I find a lot of people are not willing to put in that time these days and you know i find a lot of people kind of you know even in their in their 20s you know kind of they want to they want to go watch you know five seasons of a tv show it's like and you know go watch that amount of time in ted talks yes or go read books and yes. become an expert on the thing you're trying to do you know develop some proficiency you know turn that leisure time mm. into focused productive work or time and i'm not saying don't eat well or sleep well and I'm not advocating the kind of crazy Elon Musk, you know, way off the spectrum work schedule. But, you know, I, I do think, you know, I'm able to have a much different balance now because of that hard work put in that there was many years early on and didn't have to come with the sacrifice of family because I started young. Mm, mm. See, I agree. Balance is BS. We have different seasons in our lives. And I told, I'll tell 20 year olds like. Make your happy hour go into connect, go into build relationships. Don't worry about going to the beer with your friends or watching Netflix and chilling. Like, make it impactful when you're younger. Pork your butt off so you're able to set it up. Yeah. You buy the ability. Now we live in this microwave society where everybody wants it now, but you put in those 10 years to become an overnight success yes. or 20. Man, Scott, yeah. go to Las Vegas and give that talk, but then come back and coach first base as well. So people need to hear that talk. Now, all right, Scott, I could talk to you all day. But I want to get you to the baseball game here soon. So we're going to throw you on the rapid fire hot seat. Whatever comes to your mind, these short answers, oh, throw them boy, out there. I hate these things. Yes, oh. that's why All we're right. doing it. All right. Scott, do you have a favorite mindset quote that jumps out to you? Something that might be on your fridge, on your bathroom mirror, on your phone, something. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of mantra. Um, do not be afraid of work that has no end. Ooh, nice. Do not be afraid of never-ending work. Love it. Basically, and and I, I it's it's from an old ancient Jewish text, uh, but but what I get out of that is, you know, if your intention is is to, as you mentioned earlier to be a giver, to to say how can I use my time and my talent and my money in the service of others to end needless suffering, it's never-ending, right? Like, mm -hmm. You know, you hear a lot about charities putting themselves out of business. I think that's the stupidest idea. I really think it's a stupid idea. I mean, I get it. It's a good marketing thing. But, you know, when Charity Water solves the water crisis, you know, hopefully one day with all the other great water orgs and partners out doing that, you know, rather than drop the mic and, you know, go work at Goldman Sachs or I'll go try to, you know, now go get rich, like we would have. 30 years of experience, millions of donors who trust us, right? Who have a relationship with us, 
you know, we should say, all right, great, what's next? People don't have a roof over their heads. Children are being trafficked. People don't have access to health care. You know, people are going to bed hungry here or abroad. Let's take our three, five, 10, 20 million strong, generous tribe and let's go do something else. Mm. So there's no end point, right? There's no kind of, the work is never ending if it's, if it's postured that way. So I love that because, you know, then you can have your goals and you're hitting your goals, but it's really more about the, the way you live your life or the intention mm. of your life. Mm. Beautiful. The infinite game that we play, and it doesn't yeah, end yeah. Simon, until. Simon yeah, Sinek said, shout out to Simon. He said that very well. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> until Jesus comes back. And sorry, this is not supposed to be rapid fire. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> blues already. Hey, Scott, okay, like I'm trying to get you out of here to a baseball game. I'm giving you chances to say, wow. <laughs> okay, rapid run. fire. Rapid All right, fire. rapid fire, Scott. Okay, this is a fun one. Almost finished here. If you have a dinner party, you can invite three people, dead or alive, you want to have a conversation with, learn from who are those three people, and what are you eating on your death row meal, Scott Harrison? Oh, my gosh. Um, Albert Schweitzer, the the famous doctor humanitarian, would be one. Um, I'll be there. It would have to be an, an... early invent maybe like a ford you know somebody somebody who just went the other way i'd want to talk to them about you know how to how to do it in the face of cynicism and skepticism nice um you know i love Brene brown and i've gotten to spend some time with her so she's living and and she's a fantastic (laughs) uh dinner guest and and very provocative and then man i'm a i'm a steak guy i'd be eating steak for the last meal you know, you, you, you chew it and uh, it would, I'd savor it. I'd chew it real slow. <laughs> Beautiful. Ruth, Chris, Steak. There it is. I love that group right there. And Scott, how do we all follow you, support you, stalk you? And, and we are going to yeah. give, I'm going to make sure that we get this all out there, that people will give to Charity Water. I know me and my wife wife are going to tithe to you guys for sure, but just oh, give thanks, us all the, all the info. Yeah, listen, I think the number one way people can get involved is called The Spring. Um, you can go to the spring.com and it is, it is our community of people who show up every month, given a little bit of what they can. So think of it as Spotify or Netflix or Amazon prime, except you don't get free shipping. Mm. You don't get music. You don't get movies. People get clean water. And you know, just, it sounds crazy, but it only costs $40 to get one person clean water and charity water for 15 years, a hundred percent of all donations go directly to the field directly to the projects uh, we raise all of our overhead separately from 100 families so all the staff salaries all the flights the office all that is covered by 100 people so we started the spring i was actually with the founder of spotify uh, in ethiopia and he's like dude you gotta get a bunch of people excited and then just keep them with you right build on this community of people you know you don't want people to drive by once and like you know give you 50 bucks once and then never come back You'd rather have them give $10 a month or $20 a month and get engaged and learn about the issue. So, you know, I, I would say, uh, you know, rather than following me or, or any of that, check out the spring.com. There's also a video on that website that's gotten 60 million views. So if you wanted to just share Charity Water and our story with other people, uh, if you can't give at all, but maybe you know somebody that could um, and would be inspired by this, who could care about clean water, 
you know, just, just find that and, and, and send the page to somebody and say, check this out. So mm. that's the future. I think that's how we grow. Um, we've got 75,000 spring members across 149 countries and people give an average of 30 bucks a month. So it, it adds up into this huge impact. Um, you know, it's two Netflixes a month and there's a lot of people that can, they can do that without even thinking about it on autopilot and, and it makes a huge difference. Oh, Scott. So spring.com and, and, uh, that, that, that's a really great way to help or, or share, share that with others. Dude, that's so cool. I'm on that. I feel like I have a lot of things that I pay monthly. I don't even know what idea, like you would have 11. Are. If you're average, you would have 11. Come things. on. So, yes. That's but you get value from all 11 yes. of those things. So this is kind of the membership where a hundred percent of the value is passed on to beautiful, others, beautiful. you know, who need clean water. So that's the idea. Man, man, before I let you off this podcast, I just want to say thank you, number one, for giving your time. Secondly, thank you for being the person that you are, the impact you are having, and the genuine impact, the genuine person that you are. I've heard from so many people how great a guy you are, and they undersold you, Scott, seriously. And I just love, you know what, I just love how you think outside the box. Like, there is no really box, but you think differently. You look at things from a different perspective, and you go the other way. And you go boldly the other way. And that's bravery. That's courage. Love it, man. Love it. So we have to do this again, man. I, I love uh, I love telling stories. So we'll we'll get we'll get together, maybe totally. in Franklin. Totally, man. Or LA. In, in Franklin. Okay, so the, as the last thing is we we're gonna drop the mic on this. If you could give the audience one, like one word or two or three words, short phrase, if they're stuck in their life right now and they need to make a pivot and go, what would you tell them? And then I'm gonna hit off we're going to drop the mic on whatever you say here integrity even over everything else boom mic dropped the road just pivot and go pivot and go